A scandal in Bethlehem. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Seek rest for you, that it may be well with you. Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. Put on your cloak. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't make yourself known to the man until he is finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning." So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman has come to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you give us the treasure of the good news of redemption which we find in you in jars of clay, in weak, fragile, foolish-looking things, you place treasure. As we unpack the treasure we find in Ruth 3 this morning, would you draw our hearts to you, finding redemption in your Son, we ask it in his name. Amen. The headlines for the action that we see in Ruth chapter 3 almost write themselves. You could picture the top story of the Bethlehem Post the morning after the barley harvest, which might read as follows. Mysterious Moabite mistress... We have the exclusive scoop on the woman last seen leaving Boaz's threshing floor in the wee hours of the morning. Or, Boaz's body barley feast. Did a local farmer get a little too carried away at the end of the harvest? Find out here. More simply, a scandal in Bethlehem. Details on page 5. See, the problem with Ruth 3 is that it doesn't leave much to the imagination. 
And on the things that Ruth 3 does leave to the imagination, we wish it would be a bit more clear. So Ruth, a single Moabite woman, a people known for loose morals, she went to Boaz's place at night after he had eaten and drunk to his heart's content, and they talked pretty seriously for a while. And then she lay at his feet until morning and went away with a ton of barley. What really happened here? The details given in Ruth 3 and the details withheld in Ruth 3 have led to lots of speculation in the thousands of years since this story took place. Interestingly, as readers of Ruth 3, thousands of years after these events, we're really not in that different of a place than the village gossips in Bethlehem in Ruth's day. The optics don't look great on what we know and what we don't know about what happened in Ruth chapter 3. And so in some ways, we're left to speculate what really happened at the threshing floor. What I hope we can avoid this morning is falling into either of two pitfalls, which were certainly present in Ruth's day by the village gossips, but they're also dangers to us in 2021 in St. Pete, Florida. The first pitfall I hope we can avoid this morning is to revel in the potential scandal of Ruth 3. You can almost picture the rumor mill starting up in Bethlehem that next day. I told you, those Moabite women, they're no good. I know it's the end of harvest, but I really expected better out of Boaz. Can you believe it? His tendency to assume the worst because of the scandalous optics of Ruth 3 is also present in a number of modern commentaries if you do some reading. These commentaries will admit that while lewd details may be left out of Ruth 3, all you've got to do is read between the lines and not even that hard, and you know something happened that night, something more than what we read. You know it. I mean, come on, let's not be naive, let's not be judgmental. Ruth took matters into her own hands. Boaz was a willing partner. It all worked out in the end. These things happened. Let's not be so uptight about our sexual ethics. Well, for starters... The Bible is pretty serious about its sexual ethics. It's a big presumption to make that Ruth and Boaz slept together when we're not told that. We need to avoid the pitfall of mistaking our own modern, casual approach to sexuality for the sexuality of those seeking to live in obedience to God and his commands, people like Ruth and Boaz. The second pitfall I hope we can avoid is to sterilize the potential scandal of Ruth chapter 3. Now, I'll admit, this is my natural tendency, and there are plenty of commentaries that skew in this direction as well. Move along. Nothing to see here. The events of this chapter aren't that out of the ordinary. Ruth just needed to have a private conversation with Boaz. It just happened to work out the night after the barley harvest, at night, into the wee hours of the morning, in private. But let's be adults. Let's get our minds out of the gutter. Let's think the best of these two. But the only issue with this approach is that it really undersells how bad this scene looks from the outside. And it really does look pretty bad. Your mind doesn't have to be in the gutter to think, did something more happen here? Well, I think for us to understand the narrative of Ruth 3 properly, and that's one of our goals this morning, and for us to apply Ruth 3 to our lives properly, and that's another important goal we have this morning, we're going to have to listen to Ruth 3 with a little bit of tension. On the one hand, we can't forget the testimony of the rest of Scripture about sexuality. 
We can't forget that the book of Ruth has presented the character of Ruth and the character of Boaz in glittering terms. These is a, this is a righteous woman. This is a righteous man. On the other hand, we can't ignore the fact that this situation looks scandalous. Can we at least admit this is not how God's people typically go about wedding arrangements, right? We can agree on that. My hope is that as we live in this tension of potential scandal for a righteous woman and a righteous man and Ruth 3, this scandal in Bethlehem, we'll actually be in a better position to appreciate the wonderful, scandalous redemption God brings about through these unlikely events. So we're going to look at Ruth chapter 3 under three headings this morning. First, a scandalous plan in verses 1 through 5. Second, a scandalous kindness in verses 6 through 13. And finally, a scandalous redemption in verses 14 through 18. So let's look first again at verses 1 through 5, a scandalous plan. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. As Jerry mentioned last week, it's likely that in the space between Ruth 2 and Ruth 3, months have passed to the end of the barley harvest. Now, while presumably Naomi and Ruth have been amply provided for by gleaning and Boaz's field, what we see in Ruth chapter 2, no prospects have panned out, which actually might secure provision of food, protection, shelter, childbearing opportunities for these women things that would be important for their long-term survival in the ancient world. They're set for right now, but long-term, they still don't have any prospects. For these women, gleaning is great. It's not the same thing as having a husband. And apparently during this time, Naomi has moved from bitterness and inactivity and to where we saw her last, and now she's moved to action. You'll remember that Ruth was the main actor in chapter two. She was seeking the welfare of these women. She took the initiative to go into Boaz's field. But now in Ruth three, one through five, Naomi has a plan. She hasn't forgotten her prayer for Ruth in chapter one, nine. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And here in three, one, she says, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you? that it may be well with you. Naomi's realized that she may yet play some role in finding a husband for her faithful daughter-in-law. And in these verses, Naomi lays out a plan for her finding a husband. And really, however you slice this, Naomi's plan is pretty scandalous. Now, to be fair to Naomi, and I really do want to be fair to Naomi this morning, other than securing a husband for Ruth, and it's a righteous husband at that, we are not told explicitly what Naomi hopes will happen at the threshing floor. Naomi does not tell her daughter-in-law, go seduce this guy and force him to marry you. She doesn't say that. But we also have to admit the optics of this planned encounter, both in the ancient world and in our own, are not very good. 
In the ancient world, the threshing floor was a place associated with prostitution. You can check out Hosea 9.1 to see this. Naomi asked Ruth to make herself physically attractive in appearance and smell. She tells Ruth to wait until Boaz has eaten and drunk. This is probably more of a celebratory meal at the end of harvest. Then she tells Ruth, spy out where Boaz lies down, uncover Boaz's feet, and lie down next to him and wait. Now, whether Naomi intends this or not, it's generally accepted that to uncover a man's feet in the ancient Near East is a euphemism. Now, we don't know whether Naomi intends this euphemism or not, but for the ancient readers of this text, there are strong sexual overtones in Ruth chapter 3. Even for us as modern readers, we can grasp this just looks a little bit weird. What is she hoping is going to happen here? Is she asking Ruth to seduce Boaz? Naomi's exact motivations are unclear. But we can at least say to Naomi's credit, she tells Ruth to wait for Boaz's instructions. Naomi is placing Ruth in an extremely vulnerable position. But perhaps, just perhaps, She's trusting Boaz's good character not to take advantage of that situation. But ultimately, we just don't know. For the attentive reader of the Old Testament, unfortunately, the optics get even worse when you consider the closest parallels to this story and how they turned out. There's another story in the Old Testament of a woman boldly calling on a man to fulfill his duty as a redeemer to her, and it's found in Genesis 38. It's the story of Judah and Tamar. It's worth mentioning that Judah is Boaz's great-great-great-great-grandpa. If you'll remember, Judah takes Tamar, this woman, to be the wife of his firstborn son, Ur. Ur is killed for his wickedness before they can have a child, so Judah calls on his second-born son, Onan, to redeem Tamar, to provide a child for her. Onan is also wicked and is killed by the Lord. Judah is now fearing that his third-born son, Selah, would also die, so he sinfully withholds his third son from Tamar. If you'll remember, this story results in Tamar tricking Judah into getting her pregnant by dressing up as a cult prostitute because Judah had not kept his word. He didn't redeem her as he should have. For the ancient reader of Ruth 3, alarm bells are going off at this point. Is Boaz going to act like his ancestor Judah? Is he going to take advantage of a vulnerable woman seeking redemption like Judah did to Tamar? There's also another story in the Old Testament which might come to mind. Another story in which women, desperate for the protection and potential for childbearing provided by a man, take extreme measures, including the inhibition-numbing effects of alcohol, to make sure they have children, and it's in Genesis 19. It's the story of Lot and his two daughters. And it's worth mentioning that Ruth, a Moabitess, is the great-great-great-great-granddaughter of Lot's daughters. If you remember in that story, God has just destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah for their wickedness, but he spares the family of Lot. Lot's wife has been turned to a pillar of salt for looking back at the cities. And all this death and destruction, it's got devastating effects on Lot and his daughters. They move as far as they can from civilization, so they might never experience something like that again. We can understand that. But in their seclusion, 
Lot's daughters despair of their prospects of ever having children. So they encourage their father to drink wine excessively. They each lay with him and turn are going off. Is Ruth going to act like her ancestor, Lot's daughter? Is she going to seduce Boaz when he may be compromised? These are very live questions in light of Naomi's scandalous plan and in light of the fact that apparently Ruth intends to carry this plan out. In verse 5, she says, All that you say, I will do. At this point in Ruth chapter 3, tension is at an absolute peak. We as readers are saying, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, happen, but it looks like this is about to get really messy. Or will it? Let's look second at a scandalous kindness in Ruth 3, 6 through 13. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. He said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it's true that I'm a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. The narrative tension that we are feeling in the first five verses really just continues to ramp up here. Things are going exactly according to Naomi's scandalous plan. Ruth heads down to the threshing floor where Boaz is working and then celebrating. She watches from a safe, hidden distance. Boaz eats and drinks to his heart's content. And while alcoholic beverages aren't mentioned explicitly, it seems like Boaz has had some to drink. His heart is merry. The question is, is his judgment clouded? Ruth comes once Boaz goes to sleep and she uncovers his feet. Then things begin to pick up at midnight. A number of commentators note that in verse 9, it's as if we're in the dark with Boaz and Ruth. Their names aren't used in this verse, but simply the man and a woman. It's like we're in the dark. We can't tell who people are. We can't tell what's going to happen is Ruth going to act like Lot's daughter? Is she going to seduce Boaz when he may be compromised? Well, up until this point, Ruth has followed Naomi's instructions to a T. But now Ruth goes off script. Instead of waiting for Boaz to tell her what to do, as Naomi suggested, Ruth takes some initiative. I don't want us to miss anything of what is packed in what Ruth replies in 3.9. I am Ruth your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Up until this point in the book, Ruth has primarily been identified as a foreigner and as a Moabite. In Ruth 2, 13, when she's interacting with Boaz, Ruth specifically acknowledges, I'm not even one of your servants, Boaz. 
And yet here she calls herself Boaz's servant. And as lowly as that designation may be, there's general agreement that Ruth is both acknowledging, I am humbly dependent on you, Boaz, like one of your servants, but she's also identifying herself as a potential marriage partner, not a foreigner, not a Boabite, but a servant. Additionally, in this short sentence, she recalls Boaz's blessing from their conversation in Ruth 2.12. Boaz said, The Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Essentially, Ruth is asking Boaz to carry out the very blessing he asked the Lord to bestow on her in chapter 2. Boaz, if you truly desire for me to find shelter under the Lord's wings, let me find shelter under your wings. And finally, she makes absolutely clear what she's asking. You are a redeemer. This term would have been loaded for early readers of Ruth's story. In the law, you can go back and read Leviticus 25, 25 to 55, or Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10. Close relatives were expected to redeem those who were vulnerable, to act as a redeemer, either through buying them back out of slavery or by providing children for a woman after she had been widowed. As a close relative of Elimelech, Naomi's dead husband, Boaz could fill a similar role for Ruth. Ruth isn't looking to trap Boaz while he's compromised with a one-night stand. She's humbly calling on Boaz to act toward her like the Lord. In the Psalms, God regularly covers his people with his wings like a mother bird for protection and shelter. In Ezekiel 16.8, this same phrase is used of God covering the nakedness of his people with a garment, entering into the covenant of marriage with them. This is what Ruth is calling Boaz to do for her and for Naomi. She's humbly reminding him, you can serve as a redeemer for us. In short, although Ruth is of the lineage of Lot's daughter, she doesn't conduct herself in that same way at all. How is Boaz going to respond? Quite frankly, he has Ruth in an extremely vulnerable situation. A Moabite woman, a foreigner, at the threshing floor, in the middle of the night, thrown at his feet, anything could happen. But Boaz, who has earlier been described as a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, who has abundantly provided for this foreign woman and her mother-in-law, Boaz lives up to his reputation. Boaz blesses Ruth again. He doesn't refer to her as a Moabite or even as a servant, but as my daughter. He considers Ruth's actions at the threshing floor, casting herself at his mercy, an act of kindness. He's already commended Ruth's character in chapter 2, verses 11 to 12, her willingness to stick by her mother-in-law, adopting her people and her God, even though she didn't have to do that. But now what he sees Ruth doing is she's not even considering just her own prospects, going after young men. She considers, if I go after this redeemer, this man of the clan of my father-in-law, Naomi's going to be provided for as well. In Ruth, Boaz now sees a companion suitable for him, even though they're in the dark. He says, and now my daughter, do not fear 
I will do all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know you are a worthy woman. Now this term, worthy woman, is the same one used in Proverbs 31.10. Pretty one woman, but her character very much places her in that same category. How ironic and instructive to find a true daughter of Israel, what the book of Proverbs considers an ideal wife. Go read Proverbs 31 this afternoon. Boaz finds this in a Moabite woman. The worthy man of the clan of Elimelech has found a worthy woman. It's worth making clear that although Ruth and Naomi could call on Boaz to act as a redeemer for them, he was not obligated to, even legally. Leviticus 25 and Deuteronomy 25 don't really apply to Boaz. You can go back and read those. John Yeo says, while it's true that Boaz was a close relative, it's also true that no legal demands bound him to act. And yet Boaz expresses willingness to do just that, even to the point of making sure that he's not passing over anyone in the process. In short, although Boaz is of Judah's lineage, something that's going to be highlighted unmistakably in chapter 4, he doesn't conduct himself like Judah. This vulnerable woman in need of redemption is not taken advantage of. He doesn't need to be tricked into caring for a childless widow who might come under his protection. He does it willingly and abundantly. So to be clear, I don't think anything more happened at that threshing floor than what we've described, what we've had described for us in Ruth 3. Despite all expectations, all indicators to the contrary, there was no scandal in Bethlehem. But it sure does look bad. Far from tarnishing the reputations of faithful Ruth and righteous Boaz, the narrative of Ruth 3 actually causes their character to shine all the more. Ruth doesn't go to the threshing floor to seduce an older man into being her personal bank account in order to live a lavish lifestyle. Instead, Ruth has gone to the threshing floor out of kindness to her mother-in-law that she might be provided for as well. For his part, Boaz doesn't take advantage of a young foreign woman literally laying at his feet in the middle of the night. Instead, Boaz expresses a kindness of his own to Ruth and by extension to Naomi. His willingness to act as a redeemer, even though he's not obligated to. At the threshing floor, instead of scandal, we find scandalous kindness. Ruth and Boaz practice kindness for their actions for the sake of the welfare of the family go beyond the formal obligations of a daughter-in-law or of the male relative who is the nearest of kin. That's from Peter Lau and Gregory Goswell. We see these characters exhibiting scandalous kindness, going far beyond their expectations. This is a scandalous plan with a surprise ending. Instead of resulting in sin and shame like the stories of Judah or of Lot's daughters, the potential scandal of Ruth 3 actually ends in the firm promise of redemption for two vulnerable women. Let's look finally at a scandalous redemption in verses 14 through 18. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. 
So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, he said, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Based on everything we've already discussed this morning, I think we can safely attribute Ruth's early morning exit from the threshing floor, Boaz's encouragement, presumably to his workers who were there not to talk about her presence there overnight, simply to discretion. Boaz and Ruth know the optics aren't great for this overnight meeting. Why give the village gossips any reason to talk? But Boaz doesn't allow Ruth to leave without some firm expression of his desire to redeem her. The text doesn't specify the type of measure for the barley that's being used here, the barley that's given to Ruth. According to one commentator, this could be between 58 and 95 pounds. It's a wide range. It's a lot of barley, however you slice that. An extremely generous amount, not totally unmanageable for Ruth. She could carry that back. As Ruth recounts the events of this evening to Naomi, she's assured not only will Boaz keep his word, he'll do it quickly. This chapter began with Naomi's